The Biden administration rolled out its budget proposal for the coming year on Monday, proposing an enormous increase to the military budget as the new Cold War intensifies. Biden also included a proposal to tax the ultra-rich, but is this really enough to make a dent in the enormous level of inequality in this country? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. And a hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism, has now been released, which features a new lengthy introduction, which strengthens the case for why Marxism is worth understanding. You can check out all his work at rdwolf.com. Professor Wolf, let's start with the military budget increase that Biden is proposing. $31 billion, $31 billion additional dollars for the Pentagon. You know, $31 billion could go a long way to address the many social crises that are exploding across the society. I mean, we've been talking on this show about utility shutoffs, evictions, foreclosures that are taking place. But it seems like the top priority of the Biden administration is just to, to feed the war machine. Well, you know, it's been true now for many, many decades that The United States is a country that is determined to um, have a global military presence greater than almost the sum of everybody else's. I mean, there's a statistic that's been circulated for many years showing that the United States spends more on uh, military than the next eight, nine countries combined That includes Russia and China, by the way, and most of those countries are allies of the United States, so you made the wonder. But, you know, I think the way to understand this is to see it as very symptomatic of what happens to empires, usually when they're on the skids, when they're sliding downward, when they're diminishing. They get kind of desperate. They've become a big empire spread far and wide to protect their far and wide operations. They have military activities also far and wide. Those are very expensive as they have a harder time maintaining their dominance. 
challenges all over the place begin to multiply. So they have to have a bigger defense budget. Uh, but pretty soon, that is crowding out the domestic expenditures. And then you get that amazing process that mystifies historians later. How could a society neglect its insides, busily trying to reach global control, only to have all of it slip away when the neglect inside collapses the country from within? And to give you an example that's particularly appropriate today, the Soviet Union tried to run an arms race with the United States. The United States was always, as it is today, a much, much bigger, richer economy. That exhausted the USSR. Then the long-deferred demands of their own people for rising levels of consumption and the effort in Russia to um, control Afghanistan it was too much. They overreached. They could not do all of those things. They felt they had to maintain the military parity with the United States. And in the end, they fell apart. They imploded. They collapsed. The United States seems to me to be on the same path, pouring wild amounts of money into global adventures far away from the United States, like um, uh, Ukraine, and neglecting the needs of their people at home on a scale that ought to make anyone who pays attention and who's reasonably inclined really worry that what this is about is another case of an empire trying to keep its global footprint when it's more and more challenged by ever more powerful challengers, that becomes too expensive. So they use up money that should be used at home. And there we are off to the races. But it's a very bad omen that we're in that situation. Yeah. And so many people, so many capitalists are set to cash in on that. I mean, I, th I think those are very important observations. And, and I think the analogy to what happened in, in the Soviet Union is definitely true. I mean, maybe the Biden administration is hoping that they can do a similar maneuver to Russia or to China. But I mean, certainly the U.S. economy, the state of U.S. capitalism is, uh, you know, significantly weakened now. But to this point about who profits from this, you know, in a sense, the entire capitalist class of the United States, of course, derives enormous benefit from the fact that the U.S. is the global superpower. It is the empire that can dominate markets and exploit labor all around the world. But some capitalists really, really, really benefit from it. I'm, I'm looking at an article that was published on Politico. It's titled, Russia Threat Sets Off Mad Dash for Defense Dollars. And he quotes a number of defense industry figures, consultants. And this is a quote from Lauren Thompson, who is a defense industry consultant who's worked for Boeing, General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies. This is what she actually said to Politico. For the defense industry, happy days are here again. When the defense budget rises, it tends to lift all boats in the industry. Professor Wolf, happy days are here again. That's how the arms dealers see it. 
Yeah, well, you know, one of the ways that capitalism as a system works is that the ethics, the morality, the spirit of what goes on in the um, enterprise gets transferred to the other aspects of society. So if you're working for a capitalist enterprise, you're in the business of making profits. And anything that looks like it's going to lift your profits is happy days. And if the government is suddenly going to be spending $31 billion, and let me make a footnote here, very often in the past, what the president has asked for for the Defense Department was actually increased as the proposal went through Congress by all of the congresspersons and senators eager to get on the good side of the military for all kinds of reasons. They end up actually spending more than the president has requested. That has happened fairly often. So who knows what we're going to finally see. But yeah, if you see many billions of dollars thrown at your industry, you assume that you can now charge higher prices, sell more guns and bullets and tanks and missiles, and it'll be happy days and profit. And the idea of what the larger social implications are, that's not what you're trained to do in in a capitalist system. You're trained to focus only on your own business, only on the so that's why we call it the bottom line. Profits is what it's all about. You're happy when they're going up. You're sad when they're going down. You don't pay attention to what is called, by the way, collateral damage in the capitalist economy, but also in the military sense. You've got your objective. You've got your plan. All the other factors, someone else will take care of that. And if you believe the theory of capitalism, well, it'll all work out because maximizing profit is the same thing as taking care of society. Yeah, and and that's a very important point about what the total price tag is going to end up being. I mean, $813 billion is the Biden administration's request. But yeah, I mean, the Biden administration's last request was substantially increased by several tens of billions of dollars by the time it was actually passed by Congress. So yeah, it could get more. And, and I completely agree with you. I mean, it's obviously just a case of politicians trying to essentially set up a payday for themselves when they get out of office and it can become a an executive or a consultant or or maybe they before they get out of office they can look forward to a major campaign contribution i mean it's just the most gross violent form of corruption and this is bipartisan right i mean there's very few sort of quote unquote bipartisan areas of of agreement left in congress but certainly spending tons and tons of money to to kill people is one of them you know one one more question on this before i when i ask you about the proposal to tax the super rich right. you know the build back better social programs which were going to cost you know what 1.7 trillion dollars over the course of 10 years that was pushed by the biden administration it was killed by right-wing members of his own party. And a big part of their argument was that, well, where's the money going to come from? I don't support deficit spending. This is what Joe Manchin would say, for instance. You know, I don't support deficit spending. This is going to drive up inflation. It's fiscally irresponsible. 
Well, they didn't spend all that money on social programs, and inflation is still a pretty big problem that didn't tackle inflation, certainly. And now the time comes to give a huge boost to the Pentagon's budget, and there's no such concerns about deficit spending or the national debt. I mean, it seems like the Pentagon is just completely immune from the normal laws of political rhetoric in Washington. Well, I think that has, again, has been true. I've always found the discourse of economics, and you know, I'm an economics professor, so I guess I'm a little extra sensitive, but I've always found the discourse of economics in this country absolutely bizarre. Right-wingers are constantly advocating tax cuts because that would be better, as if nobody is going to ask the question, well, wait a minute, if you cut the taxes, then the government either has to cut spending somewhere else because they don't get the taxes to pay for it, or they're going to have to borrow the money. And we all know that they borrow either from banks or wealthy people or other countries, and that has got all kinds of problems, any of those. So cutting taxes is the good news, but you're not telling us about the costs of doing that, And that's grotesquely irresponsible. The same thing here. Oh, it's like candy. We're going to give out $31 billion in defense spending to all these lucky companies that are going to have, as if it didn't mean that if the government spends that money, it either has to tax people to get the money and they're going to be hurt, or if it doesn't do that, it has to borrow money. And that means we're going to have to be, as a nation, in hock to whoever lends the government that money, who's going to have to be paid interest every year, who's going to make demands that can't be ignored. It's a pretense. We talk about the good and the bad. It's Let's call it the advertising mentality. An advertiser doesn't give you a balanced assessment of the pros and cons for whatever it is they're selling. They only tell you the pros. And unless you're very lucky, they not only don't tell you about the cons, they hide them. They disguise them. They distract you from them. You're being hustled. As almost everybody knows, that's what advertising is about. But capitalism so infects the rest of our society that politicians have long ago adopted advertising as their model. Tell people the good news, hide all the bad news, and you're home free. You'll make a sale. Let's move on to another one of the most talked about components of Biden's budget proposal, what the administration is calling the the billionaire minimum income tax plan that would establish a 20% minimum tax rate on households worth over $100 million. That would include, um, you know, taking into account assets that currently aren't taxed. I mean, I, I think that you know, the motivation for Biden, including something, even something just named the billionaire minimum income tax plan is, is because he's he's seriously worried about losing the, the midterm election. And he wants to do something that's politically popular because all the other components of his agenda that would be of benefit to working class people have kind of crashed and burned. But I mean, what do you what do you make of this proposal overall? Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's worried about the elections. 
And uh, I'm no expert, but if I were him, I would be very worried about the elections. He hasn't been able to produce very much. You have given the working class of America an extraordinary experience. After the last two years, 2020 and 2021, when you subjected the working class to an unspeakable disaster in terms of public health, COVID, which you failed to prepare for in any way that's reasonable. I mean, we are 4.5% of the world's people, and we suffered 16.5% of the world's deaths from COVID. That is a failure for a rich country that really has no parallel that I can think of, neither in American history nor elsewhere. And over the same period of time, over 80 million people, more than half the labor force, were unemployed for some period of time. I mean, a public health disaster and an economic disaster at the same time. And when the two years are over now, you slap the working class with an inflation, raising the cost of living 8 to 10%. I mean, it is amazing if you look at it, what you have done to the majority of the American people, the working class, the employees of this country. And it strikes me as something that's going to have enormous political ramifications. And since the Democrats won't go to the left to speak to this, It'll be the right that speaks to it, and that's what we've been seeing. And my guess is they got to Mr. Biden and his people, and they said another version of what I just said, so they're going to make a nod in the direction of something in the hopes that either progressive people will be fooled into thinking this really is something, as if they didn't know that if Build Back Better didn't work, if all of the social programs that Biden had proposed and advocated both before he won the election and after, as if those hadn't been all cut back, there's no reason to imagine that this won't be cut back, if not simply wiped out, that millionaires like Mr. Manchin will vote against it again. I mean, I don't know, but there's nothing here that would make me get very excited about the prospects. But it is a gesture. I'll give them that. It's long overdue. It is really, if you think about it, quite modest. It's more than has been done before. So if you compare it to that, well, it isn't modest. It's downright radical. But if you look at the inequality in this country, well, then, especially when you think about how much less will actually ever be passed, if any of it, then it is not going to, it's not going to change the basic inequalities of this society it will go to the absolutely super rich the point x percent of our population it will not touch 99% it is a demand that those at the tippity tippity top be satisfied with only a portion of their billions compared to what they had before Given that many of these billionaires have become billionaires only over the last few years, if they actually had to pay some of this, it would only diminish how much they are the super rich. It would still leave these people being exactly what they are today, namely the richest people in the United States.
Yeah, and I mean, just just give us a little bit more of a sense of of how enormous the scale of this problem is, just so that we you know have something to compare this proposal against. How bad is inequality, and what would it actually take to address it? Well, you know, inequality has been built up in this society across its entire history. For most of the history of this country, year by year, inequality got worse. There were a couple of times, most recently, the Great Depression. Yes, that might surprise you, but in the Great Depression of the 1930s, inequality was tackled. Inequality got less extreme. As soon as the 1930s were over, we resumed what is normal in capitalism, an ever greater inequality, both in the distribution of income and in the distribution of wealth. Since the 1930s ended 90 years ago, we have been living almost a century of ever-deepening inequality, so that it is now very extreme. Extreme as it ever was leading up to the collapse of the 1930s. And let me draw that point out a bit. The extreme of inequality was hit just before it all fell apart. We have now surpassed that inequality by a bit, so it's the most extreme, and so it does raise the question, uh uh-oh, are we about to fall off a comparable cliff to what happened in 1929? But the basic numbers the top 10% of our people get the bulk of our income, the majority of it, and they own the overwhelming majority of our wealth. 10% get most of the income and own the vast amount of the wealth. What's left over, the leavings, the table scraps, are then shared out among the other 90% who typically fight each other urban versus rural, men versus women, white versus non-white, fighting over the 90% because they can't, at least so far, get together and focus on what, of course, could help them all, which is to redistribute what is owned and what is earned by the top 10%. So that's the real issue. And to deal with that, you can't just have a tax that never works. Even if this tax were to pass, the evasions that those folks have are available to them. They've also been refined and developed over the last 90 years, putting money out of the country, hiding money in all the different ways that exist. We have whole states in this country that are havens for wealthy people to hide their money. South Dakota is the number one state in this country for that. But there are others trying to get a piece of that action that now South Dakota has. And by the way, one of them is Delaware, where Mr. Biden developed his political career. You can't solve this problem with a government rule like this, a one-shot magic bullet. You've got to change the way the country works to deal with this. 
And by that, I mean, for example, every single enterprise. Look how capitalism organizes the enterprise. A tiny group of people sit at the top of the enterprise, the owner, the managing partners, or in a corporate form, our dominant form, a board of directors, never more than 10, 15 people. They make all the decisions for the corporation, whether it has 10 employees or 10,000 or a million. A tiny group decides what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and what to do with the profits. A tiny group that is not answerable to the larger one. A capitalist corporation is the opposite of a democracy. The people who own it run it, and they run it any way they want, and they make all the key decisions. The employee either lives with the decision or quits. And we noticed recently how millions of them are doing exactly that. That's how confident they are. You have to deal with that because, of course, when a tiny group of people at the top run a business, guess who they give the bulk of the profits to? Themselves. Their other owners, shareholders, and the top executives who walk off with their multi-million dollar pay packages. The rest of us having trouble, you know, feeding our families, sending our kids to college or anything else. You've got to deal with that. We can't distribute in a fair way unless you change the society. And a little footnote, and I'm going to give you a parable. If you have two children and you go to the park, and in the park they notice there's an ice cream vendor, and you go with the children to the ice cream vendor, you got these two children, and you say to the vendor, I want two ice cream cones, and you get them, and then you hand them to one kid. Of course, the other kid starts to scream. And now you realize you've made a terrible mistake and you take a cone from the one you gave to and give it to the other one. You have created enemies of these two children. You have created jealousy and envy and bitterness. You never had to do any of that if only you had done the intelligent thing at the first step. Give each of them a cone. That's the problem of capitalism. It gives the overwhelming bulk of the money to a tiny minority, and then the fights begin between the minority, which wants to hold on, with the majority, which wants a bit more and needs it for itself and its families, and they can't get together, and they fight among each other, and we live out the absurdity of such a system. That's the way to understand it and go after inequality. Slapping a tax on a tiny number of people at the top who have the best ways and the sharpest minds to escape that tax, that is a poor, poor way of dealing with one of the most fundamentally destructive qualities of American life. Professor Wolf, time is running short, but I just wanted to ask you one last question. This minimum income tax plan that Biden is proposing, it's aiming to get billionaires to pay a 20% tax rate, a 20% tax rate. There's a lot of people in this country who make a lot less than a billion dollars who pay more than 20% in taxes. I mean, how do the ultra rich get away with that? I mean, how is this even a problem? 
<laughs> That's because for many, many years, we have had a, a, a tax system that works this way for the rich. The maximum tax even now, I believe, with a couple of exceptions, but the basic tax people pay on what's called long-term capital gains. If you buy shares at a buck and you sell them for two bucks, the difference, the $1 difference between two and one, is a capital gain. The tax for the rich who have stocks is 20% of that, whereas you're right, a truck driver or a teacher or a street sweeper has to pay a higher percentage than that on their wage and salary income, et cetera, et cetera. So we've long had a tax system that favors the rich in countless ways. I won't even go into the fact that we have basically obliterated the inheritance tax, which was supposed to be a game changer, an equalizer, so we all have equal opportunity. We don't do that anymore. The first 22 million you leave to your heirs is tax-free by the federal government. This is a an immense gift to the richest amongst us. So I'm not surprised that they're being very careful, even on their proposal, knowing full well they won't even get that. All right, we're going to have to leave it right there. We've been joined by Richard Wolf. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. We've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. Appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.